0: I tell people all the time is when it works, it changes your life. I mean, it's pretty amazing that when you, you know, everything you do, you do better with a good night's sleep. And then when you do change your sleep, it really does change your life in in ways that you never would have imagined.
1: Welcome to Commune, a global wellness community and online course platform featuring some of the world's greatest teachers. We are on a mission to inspire, heal, pass down wisdom, and bring the world closer together. This is the Commune podcast, where each week we explore the ideas and practices that help us live this healthy, connected, and purpose-filled life. You can learn more about our courses, our community, and everything we do at onecommune.com. Okay, so I originally recorded this interview with Dr. Michael Bruce, a.k.a. the sleep doctor, about a year and a half ago. I've suffered on and off with insomnia for years, and I generally fall asleep without much issue, but I will wake up at 2 a.m., my mind will start racing, I'll toss and turn, and never get back to sleep. And sometimes four of these nights will stack up like pancakes, and I'll become a complete zombie. A thick marine layer clouds my brain. My workouts are reduced to essentially two sit-ups and a shower. And a little muffin top will start curling over the edges of my jeans because, yep, lack of sleep also contributes to weight gain. Any of this sound familiar? So after interviewing Michael and taking his course Sleep Better, my slumber improved through the implementation of intelligent sleep hygiene, But recently, my monkey mind is back to its old tricks, swinging from branch to branch, and I've been holding regular 3 a.m. vigils with myself. So I've revisited this podcast and re-released Michael's course on commune because I sense I'm not the only one who is suffering from lack of quality sleep. So as some background, Michael is a clinical psychologist and both a diplomat of the American Board of Sleep Medicine and a fellow of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. He's written a number of popular books on sleep, including The Power of Win and The Sleep Doctor's Diet Plan. You may have seen him on The Dr. Oz Show, where he's a regular, or stumbled across his website, thesleepdoctor.com. I hope my interview with Dr. Michael Bruce doesn't put you to sleep, or maybe I do. My name is Jeff Krasno, and welcome to Commune. For a disorder that affects so many people, I mean, I've read some statistics, like 50 to 70 million U.S. adults <laughs> have a sleep disorder. But sleep is not really something that gets discussed in medical schools, right? I mean, you brought that up.
0: Right, yeah, it's kind of crazy. So if you look at the average medical school education from when I was going through school in graduate school, they got approximately one hour across all four years. So not one hour per year, one hour across four years uh, about all 88 different sleep disorders. Um, the good news is, is that number has changed And now we're up to four hours across four years. Um, But yeah, that's part of the problem is many, many doctors, especially if you're going to an older physician, let's say somebody who's in their 50s, 60s, 70s, even many of them were never trained in sleep disorders. Um, You know, things like apnea, narcolepsy, restless legs, periodic limb movements. And many of them think that insomnia is a mental health issue, not a sleep issue. And that's a whole nother side of this that that's very difficult for people, because when people go to talk to their doctor about sleep, um, specifically insomnia, it's it's difficult. A lot of times they tell me things like, well, my doctor says that I'm depressed. My doctor says that I'm anxious. My doctor says that I need to go on antidepressant medication. Well, that might be the case, but it might be the case that you actually have a biologically based insomnia. And that person, unfortunately, doesn't know how to be able to identify it.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I've heard you talk about that experience that you have when you go and see your primary care physician for your, you know, regular checkup. And, you know, they take, you know, blood samples. They'll take a urine sample. They'll ask you, you know, your general vital signs. But somehow sleep is not part of that equation. It's crazy.
0: And sleep is such a big topic, right? I almost feel like I'm an internist of the night, you know, (laughs) because I've got it. I got to Right. I've got to cover things like if you wake up with a headache, if you got to go to the bathroom, if you've got your stomach upset. Oh, and then there's the whole sleeping process. You know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes on, uh, not to mention, how do you buy a mattress? How do you pick a pillow? You know, should I get an alarm clock? Is meditation a good thing? Is relaxation a bad thing? You know, like on and on and on and on. So it's it's a complicated topic, unfortunately. But it's fun to
1: talk about. Yeah. Well, you're filling such an important um, niche that needs to be filled. So kind of stepping back, give us a broad idea of um, why sleep is so important and what is the impact of of sleep deprivation?
0: So the impact in sleep is pretty amazing. And it's kind of fascinating because we don't actually 100% know why we sleep. What we do know is what happens when we don't sleep or don't get enough sleep, and that's what sleep deprivation is. Sleep deprivation affects every organ system and every disease state. Literally, everything you do, you do better with a good night's sleep. So it affects you cognitively. You don't think as clearly. You don't think as quickly. Um, You make riskier decisions and more emotional-based decisions. From a physical standpoint, we know that with men, testosterone drops by a third, when you're sleep deprived. So basically, if you play basketball and you're 25 years old um, and you're sleep deprived, you're playing like a 35 year old, uh, which is not probably good for your game. Um, As far as reaction time is concerned, we know reaction time slows by almost a third. So if you're driving a vehicle or something along those lines, it can have an effect. Um, Also, emotionally, it has a big effect. The more sleep deprived you are, quite honestly, the more grumpy you are. Um, the worst mood you're in. There's even data to now show that you will view things in a negative light if sleep deprived, even if the stimulation is neutral or positive simply because you're sleep deprived. So literally, dude, it affects
1: everything. Wow, that that's 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 crazy. Well, you mentioned something that I think is really, really important for people to understand, and that every single individual has their own sort of sleep wake cycle. And you talk about the the concept of the chronotype. Can you explain what a chronotype is and and how you determine what your personal chronotype is?
0: Sure. So first of all, a lot of people out there may not have heard the word chronotype, but they actually do know what it is. If anybody out there has ever been called an early bird or a night owl, um, those are chronotypes. And so historically, when we look in the medical and the psychology literature, what we discover is there's early birds, there's people in the middle that used to be called hummingbirds, and then there are night owls. My contribution to the literature is I felt like there was a large group of my patients that didn't fall into any of those categories, and those were the people with insomnia. And so what I decided to do was add insomnia to the categories, um, and what we discovered very quickly was it's actually a category of its own. Now, here's what's also interesting is these are genetic. So this isn't uh, necessarily, oh, I'm in a bad environment, so I'm not sleeping well. There are plenty of people out there who genetically are not great sleepers. Um, And once we identify which one of these that you are, everything becomes a lot easier because we know what your hormones look like throughout the day. And I can tell you when your melatonin is high and when it's low and when to go to bed and when not to. Um, And so the way you discover this, um, I have an online quiz that people can go to, if you go to chronoquiz.com, uh, you can uh, take your own um, chronology and you can figure out what your chronotype is and get some more information on it, which will be very helpful. But uh, it's really one of the most critical aspects to trying to understand how, is your, how does your sleep work and how can you make it benefit you the most.
1: So I I did this because I've suffered with insomnia for for a number of years. And from my chronotype is, I think it more, it falls mostly into the lion category, where if I can go to sleep at 9 p.m., more or less, that's kind of my sweet spot. And I can sleep, you know, pretty well and deeply and consistently till 5 a.m., which, of course, that might sound like a very sedentary and boring life, but I'll tell you it beats being it beats brain fog um, and <laughs> weight gain and right. all of the other things. And so if I'm understanding correctly, the natural rhythm of my body is essentially releasing the melatonin hormone or like the sleep inducing hormone around that time and then is um, secreting cortisol you know, around five o'clock. And the fact that now I've found I've been able to identify that sleep window where my body is naturally excreting those hormones. That's that's what's helping me get a good night's sleep. Is that a decent understanding of it?
0: Absolutely. That is 100% correct.
1: Good. So I know you've broken down these chronotypes into four different animals. Um, I believe they are lions bears wolves and dolphins is that right
0: (laughs) lions bears wolves and dolphins that's correct and so what i decided to do was change the category because i'm a mammal not a bird right and so i said i want to choose mammals and i also chose animals by the way that actually have this as their their actual chronotype so lions are my early risers. They replace early birds. They like to get up early. They like to make a list every day. They like to go from one to two to three to four. Um, A little bit militant in their thinking on occasion, but just people who get things done have a tendency to be lions. Um, They like to exercise. Um, They like to be up early in the morning. That's where they find they have their most energy. Um, But it's not all fun and games being a lion um, because uh, as you said, socially, you know, by 8.30, 8.45, you guys are ready to go to bed. And so dinner in a movie with a lion probably isn't going to happen, but maybe an early dinner or an early morning run with a lion or breakfast with a lion certainly <laughs> can occur. The middle one, which used to be called the hummingbird, I call a bear. And we've had now over 750,000 people take the quiz, I think. And um, what we've discovered is there are early bears and there are late bears. So while a bear generally likes to go to bed around 10.30 and wake up around 7 and has some general characteristics of being more of an extrovert, um, these are the people that you like to have fun with, hang out with, are good uh, friends, things like that, Um, it turns out that there are some people who are a little bit on the early side and some people who are on the later side. So some of my bears will go to bed at 9 o'clock, while others will not go to bed until 11.30. So it seems to be there's some earliness and lateness that seems to vary with them um, a little bit. Then we get into our night owls, which is what I am, or what's called a wolf. So we are the creatives. We are the actors, the authors, the musicians. We are the high risk takers. We're usually the least healthy of the bunch. Um, We gain the most weight. Uh, We make the worst decisions. But we're also um, a lot of fun. Believe it or not, we're introverted more so than extroverted meaning that we can get on a stage and do whatever it is we do, but maybe at a party, we're not so great at conversation. That can certainly be something that happens quite a bit. Um, And then the final category are what I call my dolphins. And so this is where I bring in the insomniacs. And so dolphins, most people don't know this, but dolphins sleep what's called unihemispherically. So half of their brain is asleep while the other half is awake and looking for predators. And I felt like this was a great analogy of my insomniacs who are just never quite asleep. Right, so they're trying really hard, constantly, constantly, constantly. But sometimes they're sleeping, sometimes they're not. That felt like a dolphin to me, Um, and those are my problem children. So those are the ones that the book, The Power of When, was written for, where I started to do all of my real deep dive on chronobiology. Um, And there's a lot of interesting things that can be done to help those people out. And believe it or not, some people who look like a dolphin, once we get them on a on a schedule and we get them doing the right sleep hygiene and doing all the things that we talk about in the course their true chronotype comes out and they're actually no longer a dolphin. It's
1: pretty interesting. That's what's happening to me right now. <laughs> you're, you're, you're taking me out of my dolphin state, which I am very grateful. So when you say sleep, um, and, and I think there's a popular conception that sort of sleep is just sleep, but it's actually broken down into a number of different stages. Would you mind uh, articulating what those stages are?
0: Yeah, so um, we go from wake to stage one, then down into stage two. Then we go into a combination of stages three and four. They're now together. Then we go back to stage two and we go into REM sleep. And that's called a cycle. A cycle takes roughly 90 minutes. And you'll learn a lot more about this in the course. Each one of those stages does something different for our bodies. The two areas that are the most important for us to learn about are stage three, four and stage REM. So stage three, four has a lot to do with our physical restoration. So this is where our body kind of goes into the body shop and gets the scratches and the dinks and the dents pulled out of it. Um, and we, we feel alive. We wake up and feel really good after having stage three, four sleep. Stage REM sleep uh, is a little different. This is the mental restoration. So this is where we have a tendency to see, for example, information go from our short-term memory to our long-term memory. That's when that process occurs. Um, And so very different uh, uses of each stage for our bodies. And of course, a cycle runs roughly 90 minutes and you have roughly five cycles across the night. Right. So right there, we learned that eight hours is a myth, because if you multiply it out, it only equals seven and a half hours. So I want everybody out there and you're going to learn a lot about these myths, how they showed up and why they're they're not very helpful in the course. Um, But eight hours is a myth. Everybody's sleep need is very, very different.
1: Got it. And so to access REM, which is, as you described, that stage where short-term memory can go into long-term storage, how long does it take generally to hit stage REM um, within the cycle? So if there are five
0: cycles across the night, in the first two to three cycles, you should see REM between 80 and 120 minutes. So sometimes the very first REM cycle is very short, 30 seconds, two minutes. And so sometimes, quite frankly, you miss them. But um, w- what I can tell you is is that generally the entire cycle itself is 90 minutes long. But REM sleep, you get to about the 80, somewhere between 80 and 100, 120 minutes.
1: And you can almost, if you're looking at that five cycles, 90 minutes per cycle, you can almost sort of reverse engineer your sleep schedule, right?
0: Yeah. And I give people a formula to do that for sure.
1: So let's talk about the other elements in life that you can control. um, Because I think one of the, the really empowering messages that I hear from you is that, you know, this isn't something that's happening to you, that you actually have control over your sleep. And a lot of that is behavioral. So, you know, let's talk about, Alcohol, caffeine, exercise, these kind of uh, proactive decisions and, or non decisions that you can make and, and how they affect your, your sleep.
0: So, here's what I'll tell you when you look at alcohol, most people don't know, but it takes the average human body approximately one hour to digest one alcoholic beverage. So, I'm not going to tell you that you cannot drink. I am going to show you in the course when to drink where it will not have a huge effect on your sleep. And then the methods that I would claim that you need to use, including hydration um, to counterbalance the alcohol. Because one of the things that most people don't know is half of the reason that you have a hangover is because you drink too close to bedtime, um, which affects stage three and four. And the other half is due to dehydration because alcohol is a diuretic. So by having your alcohol earlier in the evening at very specific times based on your chronotype, Um, it can be much better for you in the long run, as well as better for your sleep. Caffeine turns out to be the exact same thing. Um, I've got no problems with people using caffeine and using it wisely, but overuse of caffeine and overstimulating yourself can certainly be a pretty big problem when it comes to sleep. Um, So in the course, I actually will give you guidelines as to when to drink caffeine, again, based on your chronotype and when to stop. Generally speaking, I'm having most people stop around the two to three o'clock range. I mean, this is because caffeine has a half-life of six to eight hours. And in order to get that stuff out of your system, at least half of it, um, if you stop around 2 p.m. your caffeine, then you have a far greater likelihood of being able to fall asleep a little bit easier in the
1: evenings. And what about exercise?
0: Exercise is the single best way to improve the quality of your sleep. Now look, you don't have to go out and run a marathon, okay? But 20 minutes of cardio each day, uh, assuming that your doctor says it's an okay thing to do, turns out to be a wonderful way to improve your sleep quality, not only helping you fall asleep, but to reach deeper stages of sleep and to have fewer interruptions. Um, But here's the thing. When you're sleep deprived, you don't want to exercise. In fact, exercising the exact same thing. So like, let's say you went on a, a bike and you did a spin for 30 minutes at a particular resistance and you don't have enough sleep in you it's going to feel three times as difficult as if you do the same bike, the same resistance, but with sleep in you. So don't get discouraged when you first start exercising because it's going to be even harder. But once you lock in your sleep schedule, figure out your exercise routine, that's when things are going to get easy and you're going to see a lot better flow of energy.
1: We hear a lot about technology and screen time and its association with sleep. Uh, Expound on that a little bit for, for me if you could.
0: Sure. So when we look at technology, specifically technology that involves light, um, all light has within it a spectrum. um, And part of that spectrum is called blue light. When that wavelength hits your eye, it actually does something very specific to a certain group of cells called melanopsin cells, and it turns off the melatonin faucet in your brain. Right before bed, the last thing that we want to have happen is your melatonin faucet turning off, right? Right. What we want is we want your melatonin faucet turning on at night and off in the morning. So better to use bright light exposure in the morning when you wake up uh, by getting sunlight or using light therapy or a light box in the morning if you wake up when it's still dark out and avoiding blue light at night. Now, that might be easier said than done. Here's what I can tell you is there are light bulbs available. You can buy them. They're like 20 bucks. Um, online that have filters in them that filter out the blue light. But then I also use blue light blocking glasses um, because I might look at my phone or I might watch television before bed, and I don't want that blue light to influence my ability to fall asleep. So roughly 90 minutes before bed, the blue light blocking glasses.
1: And on the supplement tip... Would you encourage people um, to supplement with melatonin if their, if their melatonin faucet is not flowing?
0: Well, so here's the thing is, 90% of people's melatonin faucet works just fine. Yeah. Um, as we get older, so as we hit the 50, 55, 60 range, our melatonin production can slow down. So in some of those people, I'm recommended daily melatonin use, but for almost nobody is daily melatonin use um, necessary unless you're doing something like shift work. So as an example, if you're a shift worker um, and you uh, have to get in and go to, um, you know, to work at, you know, midnight and and work until eight o'clock in the morning, well, then you're going to need melatonin to help you fall asleep during the daytime for sure. But generally speaking, most people should not need melatonin. However, There are plenty of people that can benefit from supplementation for sleep. Some of the things that I talk about in the course are vitamin deficiencies, including uh, vitamin D uh, in particular um, has a very big effect on our ability to sleep. Vitamin D helps control our circadian rhythms in certain ways. From a mineral perspective, we know that magnesium appears to have a very interesting uh, relationship with sleep, as does vitamin B, vitamin B6 and B12 in particular. So, when we've got people out there who don't digest these vitamins well um, because of certain genetic variations, that can also have a big effect on their sleep as well. So, I mean, when you start to look at it, you know, being healthy and just taking your vitamins and minerals on a daily basis, yes, I think that can be helpful um, for overall sleep qualities. Now, if you're having problems sleeping, then some sleep supplementation could be very valuable to you. For example, using something like. Uh, valerian or hops uh, in combination with melatonin could be very, very helpful for people. Um, So, you know, don't throw melatonin away per se when we're talking about sleep because for many people, melatonin can and will be a very helpful um, substance to
1: utilize. I want to ask you kind of a, a broader cultural question about sleep. Sure. And, you know, historically... You know, sleep has been something that has been celebrated. You know, Shakespeare talks about it. He calls it nature's soft nurse. Uh, even in the Bible, sleep is something that is, is is it's during sleep that God seals in his instructions. And then you know, the 20th century comes along, and Thomas Edison invents the light bulb, and he talks starts talking about how sleep you know, kills productivity and, you know, fast forward to the world of like all nighters and, you know, college, you know, it's this badge of honor of like, you know, how little sleep you can get, you know, um, where are we on that spectrum? Are people now rediscovering how important sleep is and, and, and how are you, what role are you playing in that, in that, um, discussion?
0: Well, Thomas Edison was a smart dude. Um, At the end of the day, he was pretty stupid when it came to sleep because the exact opposite is actually true. Um, Are we seeing a comeback for sleep? You bet we are. I think that sleep is becoming much more popular again, Um, but I think it's not because it's a fashionable trend, but because it's really the definition of better health. I believe, as a society, we're starting to understand what affects us by looking at the foods that we eat, the exercise that we do, the air that we breathe. We would be very foolish not to think that sleep uh, was a pillar of that health.
1: Well, Michael, thank you so much for devoting yourself to the study of sleep and also helping so many people foster a better night's sleep. I know um, how important. This has been to me. I mean, it's been absolutely essential to my vitality, to my creativity, to my relationships with my wife and my children and my co-workers. So this is something that I've said is um, is very personal for me. But you know, I'm just one person. This is, you know, affecting tens of millions of people. Um, and you're on the front line addressing it. So thank you so much. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks for having the, giving me the opportunity to kind of spread the word, you know. And and you know, one of the things that I tell people all the time that I think is kind of like one of those good ways to end it is, you know, what did God do on the seventh day? Yeah. Right. It's like we all need to rest. We all need to sleep.
1: I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Michael Bruce. You can learn more about his work at the sleepdoctor.com or take his course, Sleep Better, on Commune. And of course, email me any old time with comments or questions at jeffk at onecommune.com or follow me on Instagram at jeffkrasnow. That's all from the Commune for this week. My name is Jeff Krasno, and I am here for you.